a couple of podcasts by um, a clinical psychologist called Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you've heard of him. Jordan B. Peterson. Yeah, and he, he did this series. He's a psychologist, but he did a series called The Psychological Significance of the Biblical Stories. And it's quite, it's quite a very good series. And I got, um, I got quite a lot of insight from that. So some of the ideas I'll be sharing today are directly from watching those videos. So I think it's important to mention this in case you stumble across one of, of his videos one day and you're thinking he copied me. <laughs> right, yes, of course. Yeah, if, uh, yeah. if you rest assured it happened the other way. No, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, first I must say it's, it's really an honor to have my friend OZ um, visiting with us and his beautiful wife in Kechi, who I've met for the first time today. Now, OZ and I attended the same secondary school and university in Nigeria. So. I've known him quite a while, it's a couple of years, probably about 30. So it's, um, it's really good to have you today. So what am I going to be talking about today? What's the title of the sermon? I'm going to tell you what the title of the sermon is in a moment, but before I tell you what the title is, there are two questions I, I would really like us to attempt to answer. And in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus says, do not worry about the future. Now, those are not his exact words, but it's pretty much summarizes today. So he says, do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink. God looks after beds and plants. So we're a lot more important. And I really like this verse. And I feel I'm on a journey where I'm trying to get to the point where I can live my life like this without worrying. We're taking a while to get there. I'm not there yet. And so while it's true that Jesus says, do not worry, I tend to worry from time to time. I, I worry about the fact that the Bank of England has increased the mortgage, um, sorry, the interest rate to the highest level since records began. And, well, since 2009. And, and as a result of that, my mortgage payments most likely go up next year. So I'm worrying about that. I worry from time to time about whether or not I'm being a good parent, whether I'm giving my kids the best. I worry about my kids, I worry about my parents because they're now in their 70s and my parents still return the favor and they worry about me. And pretty much my circle of friends from the interactions we have at work, in church, everywhere, there seems to be the general idea that people worry about their future. Now there are a set of people who don't worry about their future. Unfortunately, I don't seem to hang out with those people. So, <laughs> my question this morning, the first question is, why? Why do we worry about our future? Yeah. What is it that makes us get to that point that even if we're Christians and we hear um, reassurances like this, it's, it doesn't seem to be enough. So to answer the first question, I think it's quite important to go back to the beginning, where it all started. <laughs> so, if you, if you don't mind turning to Genesis chapter 3, please. So in Genesis chapter 3, um, the Bible describes what is called the fall of humanity and eventual separation of God from man. And as a result of the events that happened, there are a lot of consequences that came up from that. Today we're going to be talking about three of these consequences. So for the first one, I'm going to read um, Genesis chapter 3, verse, verses 8 to 10. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. So I like to think of this as the dawn of self-consciousness. So Adam and Eve were already naked, but somehow they were not aware of it. They were already vulnerable, but somehow it didn't matter. It appears that they had some type of protection from God, some type of shielding from God, so that even though they were vulnerable, it didn't matter they were vulnerable. And the closest um, analogy I can think of about this is when you think of kids. You see, kids are vulnerable. But they're about the happiest people you get to meet. Because even though they're vulnerable, their vulnerability doesn't matter. They, they look, they're shielded from that by their parents or responsible adults. So, so even though Adam and Eve were vulnerable at some point, they, they were protected. But then that protection was lost. So it would be pretty much accurate to say the way the life of Adam and Eve was before the fall was something like this. <laughs> so it didn't really matter, right? They were free, just like you see those two kids. But then something happened and that vulnerability became exposed. And for the second one, I'll read verse 17 of the same chapter. So now this is going to be the second consequence we're going to talk about. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from, from it all the days of your life. The second consequence I'm going to talk about is the necessity for work. So, for a long time I used to think of the necessity for work as a curse, like, okay, God cursed Adam and said, okay, now you're going to have to work. But when you really think about it, it appears that the necessity for work is a direct, un an unavoidable consequence of the fact that their vulnerability had been exposed. Because if you realize you're vulnerable, you want to set yourself up in a way to protect yourself. And I think that was what happened when Adam and Eve decided, um, realized they were naked and they hid from God. Because they, they were naked and they wanted to be protected from that. And that's what, how I see the necessity for work as well. Because you realize you're vulnerable and at some point in the future, maybe you're having a good time in the summer, there's a lot of rain, there's food, and then in the winter there's going to be no food. You want to prepare for that. You want to prepare for winter, the seasons when things would not be okay. And that's pretty much what work is. Giving up something now, in order to secure a future that is much better. And then the final consequence um, we find in verse 22. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not, allow, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. So the final consequence I'd like to talk about before I'm hoping we'll answer the first question is, the distinction between good and evil. And to a very large extent, I think this also stems from being self-conscious and understanding our vulnerability. Because 
if you realize you're vulnerable, if you find out that you're vulnerable, then you're aware of other people's vulnerabilities. And what evil is, is pretty much taking advantage of another person's vulnerability to your own unfair advantage. So I believe that these three factors we see here, the dawn of self-consciousness, the necessity for work, and the distinction between good and evil are very strong driving forces in, in humanity. They're, they're very strong forces that determine how our lives turn out and how we play out in our relationship with God. And, and I like to think of it, if I want to summarize it is, I, I like to think of it that because of those, the fall of man, we were stripped of our protection from the unknown. And as a result of that, we exist in a state which I like to describe as existing in a state where we have to constantly contend with the self-conscious, vulnerable conditions of existence. So this is how life is now. And I believe this is probably why we worry about the future, because we don't have that protection anymore. We've been stripped of it, and we exist with all these vulnerabilities, and we worry as a result of that. So that, that, that I believe, hopefully answers the first question. But then it leads to a second question. And the second question would be, given that we have to constantly contend with these conditions of existence, how do we best conduct ourselves to to move back towards the ideal. The ideal being, being back in a state where we, we're connected to God. Being back in a state where we can get some type of protection, knowing that even though we're separated from God as a result of the fall of man, by reconnecting to God, we can have some type of shielding from, from this. And um, for that, I think we'll just need to go to the next chapter, Genesis chapter 4. I'll read from, first I'll read from um, the second part of verse 2 to 5. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from the same, from some of the firstborn of his, his flock. The Lord, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. So fast forward a couple of years, right? So Adam and Eve now have kids, and. They both become farmers, so one of them looks after flocks, another one looks after plants. And, and then something rather strange happens. The Bible tells us that they both came to go with an offering. Now I say this is strange because it's the first time the whole idea of um, making an offering is presented in the Bible. It's the first time the idea of making a sacrifice is presented. And you wonder why is this the case? Because we're not told if God specifically asked them to make this offering. We're told they just, made, um, they just made the offering. And even though the Bible doesn't specifically tell us, I think if we look at the text, we can make some pretty much accurate inferences. So the first thing we, we can think of is, we know that the necessity for making that sacrifice had to do with the necessity for work. Because what they brought as offering was basically the, the products they had. And then 
if you really think about work, right, when you work, like I said earlier, what you're doing is you're giving up something of value now to secure a future. And that is actually what sacrifices. So even though it might not be they might not have thought of it as sacrifice, psychologically, they already had an understanding of this idea of making sacrifices. And then you have to think that they exist in this vulnerable condition of life, right? And in that state, you want something, you want a way to, it would make sense to want to have some type of reassurance from God. The Bible says God looked on favor with their offering. So it would make sense that they offered the sacrifices just with hopes that God would look on favor with them and maybe help things work out in their life, right? So this seems to be the reason why um, they would have made the sacrifices. And then the Bible suggests that the sacrifice that Abel made was of higher quality than what Cain made. And as a result of that, um, one sacrifice was accepted and the Lord didn't look in favor with the other one and, and he was upset and he was very unhappy. And it makes sense if you think about it. It's hard when things don't work out. It's, it's difficult when we're trying something and we don't get the reassurance we want, we don't get acceptance. Rejection is a difficult thing. And so understandably, Cain was upset very upset, very angry, and his face was downcast. If we move on and continue from verse 4, sorry, um, from verses, read verses 6 and 7. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why are your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you but you must rule over it. So, Cain is angry and in a bad state, and it makes sense he was. But there was actually a way out. He was in a state where things had not worked out, but he had a way to turn that around. And God lays down all the options before him. He says, listen, the reason why things didn't work out well is most likely because you didn't do what you were meant to do. Now, if we try and think about it, go back a bit and think about possible reasons why this sacrifice was not accepted. Now, there are a lot of reasons why he might not have offered a high quality sacrifice. So one possible reason could be he was a farmer, maybe he had a bad season, there was no rain, and so the harvest was bad, and for that reason, the sacrifice he offered was bad. Another possibility is that he didn't pay much attention to his work. Another possibility is that he, even though he had the reins, at the time where he could have been doing the work, he didn't do it. And as a result, he didn't have a great sacrifice and then things didn't work out. A third possibility is that he, maybe he actually had a great sacrifice, I'm sorry, a great harvest. He worked very hard and he had a great harvest. And then he got to the point where he thought, you know what? After doing all this work, I'm not just going to set the best harvest on fire just to please God. Come on, man. I've worked very hard for this. So those are possibilities. We don't know, but from what God is saying here, it would seem like it was one of the other two options. It would seem like 
king actually had the power to make things improve. And there are times when we find ourselves in situations when we find ourselves in a situation where we have put in a lot of work, we try to get something and then it doesn't work out. And at those points, it's, it's important to listen. It's important to listen either to ourselves or to some third party, someone else telling us, you know what, this is a bad time, it is difficult, but this can change, this can be turned around. And that's pretty much what God was telling me. Now listen, it was, it was bad. It wasn't accepted, but it's not the end. It's not all done. There is a way out of this. And the way out is to go back and do the right thing. Go back and do the work that is necessary. Put in that work. And things could turn around. Now, in a situation like this, the, the ideal thing is to listen. But it's difficult to listen sometimes when... The source of the problem is identified as ourselves. It's difficult because you have all these emotions. In Cain's case, he had anger. He was angry because it hadn't worked out. Sometimes the emotion could be anger, it could be disappointment. And the problem is that those emotions can cloud our judgment. And when I think of how um, in, in Genesis, before man was sent out of the garden, God said man has now become like us, with the ability to make the distinction between good and evil. <laughs> That's a vulnerability, but it's actually also a strength if it's used properly. And the reason is that if you have the power to make a decision, if, you, if you're disciplined enough to make the right but difficult decision, then it's turned to a strength. And this is why I think God presented the options to Cain. And that's why he said, if you're letting your emotions take you over, you're going to end up in a worse state. But it says in verse uh, 7 that it desires to have you, your emotions desire to have you, but you must rule over it. You have that power to make that decision to rule over it. And unfortunately, Cain didn't make the right decision. And things got worse. So the question is, what does this, what does this tell us? What does this tell me? Well, this tells me that there are two patterns of reaction to the fact that we exist in a state where we have to contend with vulnerable conditions on an ongoing basis. There are two possible ways to react when we find ourselves in difficult situations. One option is humility, a decision to consistently make the right sacrifices, to develop a good relationship with life, and a good relationship with pain, to stay connected to God. And the other option is letting our emotions cloud our decisions. It's letting our emotions take us over to the point that it could actually get worse. And after this happened, what the Bible tells us is that God told Cain that, after he made the wrong decision, God told Cain that, cursed is the ground because of you, that when you work, it's no longer going to bear the results. And again, it seemed to me that what it's saying here is that no matter how, when, when we get to the point where we, 
we don't listen to ourselves or we don't adjust to make changes, things can actually get worse and it can get to the point where it becomes really, really bad. Now in life, we're always going to face challenges. In life, life is always going to throw tough situations at us. We're going to be at situations where we try things and they don't work. What should we do at those tough times? I think what we should do, what we should try to do, what we should strive to do is to understand the necessity of, is first to be able to objectively assess whether or not we have a role to play with it, whether or not we can do something. In, in a lot of cases, I believe we can make those changes. And I think it's hard, it's hard to think of to what extent what the consequences of our action or, or inaction can be, to what depth it could go. Because I think about the goal of Cain and Abel, the goal they had was to stay connected to God so that that void that exists because we're separated from God isn't there. So they both had the right motive. But it turns out that in order for that goal to be achieved, they needed to make the proper sacrifices in all the other areas of their life. And I'm beginning to think that if we're not making proper sacrifices in other areas of our life, it can be difficult to connect to God. A good example of that would be my marriage, if I wasn't making the right sacrifices in my marriage and I'm not listening to what is happening, maybe my wife is telling me, this, you're doing this wrong, I wish you could change this, or it could even be third parties, close friends who know us very well, and they say, you know what, this is what I think is happening. If in a situation like that, I, I decide to let my anger and resentment take me over, the situation is not going to improve. And then my relationship gets worse. Now if my relationship with my wife gets worse, then I live in an unhappy home. And if I live in an unhappy home, it's very likely it could affect my relationships at work. It's very likely it could affect the quality of work I have. And to be honest, if work and, and home life are not going well, it's going to be pretty much difficult to have a good relationship with God. It's going to be difficult to be a Christian when I have all these problems happening. And I think the connection could even be deeper. The Bible tells us that one of the descendants of Cain um, is called, I think, Tubal Cain, and he became the first person to create weapons of mass destruction. And I think that's quite scary when you think about it. Yeah, back then, that already happened. It's scary. And you wonder why. Was it coincidence? How did that happen? And as I was preparing this sermon, I tried to think, how is that possible? How is it possible that my actions or inaction in something really small could affect, could get to the point where it's affecting a lot of people? And it didn't take long to try and figure that out. So let's say I'm not making the right sacrifices in my marriage. I don't care. I get angry. I don't want to listen. I'm resentful. Relationship is strained. My kids would most likely pick up on that because if kids are in an unhappy home, they would pick up. And they could react in different ways. Some kids could become really quiet, they're not talking at school. Or maybe some kids could become bullies. So if my child becomes a bully because I haven't made the appropriate relationship with my wife, uh, sorry, appropriate sacrifices in the relationship with my wife, then my child starts beating up kids in school. 
So you, you see that my inaction is affecting a different family that I'm not even aware of. Mm. And how far can this even go? It's difficult to decide or to think of how far this could go. So for that reason, I just think it's important for us to, to try and think of being at this point where we can constantly make the sacrifices to stay connected with God. And I really like the whole idea that, okay, this can be simplified to two patterns, right? If I do one thing, life is great. If I make the right sacrifices, problem solved. Every negative thing turns to gold. There's no need to worry about anything, and, and I can pretty much fix my life. And if, if we could take this out there to the whole world, the world would be a better place. No more problems. But we know that's not true. We know that we know that in life it's not the complexity of our of life and the complexity of the interactions we have with these these um, vulnerabilities cannot really be simplified to just two simple states. So it means we are missing something. It means we need to talk about one more consequence of the fall of man. It means there's one consequence that we probably have left out. Tragedy. I think another consequence of our vulnerability is tragedy. In life, we're constantly faced with situations where we have to face the negative effect of tragedy. I believe everyone here at some point might have had to deal with the loss of close friend, a relative. Tragedy constantly locks around the corner in our lives. And in some cases it could be senseless. It might not even be death, it could be serious illnesses. And that makes life more complex. Because when tragedy strikes, it can strain the types of relationships we have with people, and it can strain our relationship with God. I know I've had lots of instances of people who don't believe in God or people who used to believe in God but no longer believe in God because as far as they're concerned, why do bad things happen to good people? Why, if God existed, why do people just suffer unnecessarily? And you don't have to go too far to think about this. The main text we have today captures that perfectly. Abel did all what was right, he made all the right sacrifices. He had a good relationship with God, but he ended up dead. So it would seem that while we have this goal to stay connected to God, and it all seems nice to say, oh, we have these two patterns. If things go wrong, it's, it's your fault, fix it. If they're going well, you're doing all the right things, that's great. It might seem that simple, but with, with this extra factor, it becomes really difficult. So why do bad things happen to good people? Why is life unfair in, in this way that we, we don't understand? Of course, I don't know the answers. But this is what I think. What I believe strongly is that tragedy could broadly be based in um, classified in two groups. There are tragedies that, that exist because of the way things are. After the fall of man, God said, you will eventually die. 
So death is, is dead, it's natural, everybody will eventually die. So that's unavoidable. Because we're not perfect, we're going to fall ill at different times. And at times we're going to face those types of difficult situations, those types of tragic situations that don't make sense. There will be things like earthquakes that there's no control over. So that's one category. But I think the second category would be tragedy that results from failure of people doing what they should do. And again, the story of Cain and Abel is, is perfect. If you try and think of Adam and Eve, it must have been difficult for them to deal with the loss of a child, the perfect child. But if you go back and you think about it, what our actions could mean, because we, it's difficult to tell to what extent, I think if we were making the right sacrifices, perhaps there will be less tragedy in the world to deal with. Perhaps those types of tragedies that could be avoided can be dealt with. And again, it's, it seems also random because I think about when I was getting into university, one of the um, courses I considered studying was medicine. But then I thought, if I studied medicine and I made a wrong decision and someone dies, my patient dies, I wouldn't be able to deal with that. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to study medicine for this reason. Mm -hmm. If I chose engineering, where you don't have to deal with people. But then, <laughs> you already get it, right? And then, it never really clicked until a few years. You end up in a situation where people could actually die. Tragedies could happen as a result of my being lazy. So for me, I just feel it is so important to pay attention in all areas of our life. Our ultimate goal is to stay connected to God. But it's hard to get to that point if we are not staying connected, if we are not building a good relationship with life, building a good relationship in all our interactions. One of the worst things to deal with in life is the loss of a family member, the loss of a close friend. But I've also learned time and time again that something that can be worse than dealing with the loss of a close friend or a family member is dealing with the loss of a family member when all the people left behind have sour relationships with each other. I've seen cases, not once, many times, where a whole family descends into chaos because, not because someone died, but because over the years people never really took time to build proper relationships. People didn't make that sacrifice necessary to to have a harmonious relationship with other people because people had pride and things just get from bad to worse. So tragedy is an unavoidable fact of life. But I believe strongly that by trying to stay connected with God, we could make it slightly better. I believe at this point, it would make sense for me to finally tell you the title of the sermon for today. <laughs> Staying connected with God. So as a result of the fall, as a result of a separation from God, we're stripped of all our protection from the unknown. We're stripped of all our protection from the infinite. God being the infinite, right? And because of that, we exist in a state where we constantly have to contend with vulnerable conditions. 
I think a worthy goal to have in our lives is to strive to get to a point where we get back to the ideal, get back to being connected with God. But connecting, getting to that point is difficult if we are not creating great relationships, making the proper sacrifices in all the other areas of our lives because the connection is so deep. The connection, it's difficult to have a great relationship with God who we don't see if we can have a great relationship with other people. It's difficult to have a great relationship with God if we are not paying attention to work, if we are not doing what we need to do in all the other areas of our lives. Now, while it's true that making the appropriate sacrifices can help us stay closer to God, it unfortunately doesn't protect us from tragedy. Tragedy seems to be an unavoidable fact of life that we have to deal with. But making the right, sacrifice, right sacrifices could reduce the pain, just make it slightly better. It could be this, the difference between complete chaos when tragedy happens or chaos that can be managed to an extent. So to close out, I'd like to play a song. Um, the song is it's quite a tragic song. It was, it's a song by one of my favorite singers when I was growing up, and still one of my favorite singers now. Um, but that's not why I'm playing the song. The reason why I'm playing the song is that it seems to perfectly capture the fact that tragedy is deeply woven to our existence. And tragedy is always going to be there. It's going to be a part of our lives. But it's still important that we give our all in trying to stay connected to God. And just hope that while it's difficult, while tragedy will strike, Ultimately, our goal of staying connected to God would give us some comfort. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share.
Searching for that open door 